take out your Bible and turn to the book of Jonah. It's on page 753 in your pew Bible. If you brought your own Bible, it's uh, right of Psalms. Before you get to Micah there, it's a small one. Jonah, the third chapter, verses 1 through 5. If you're visiting, we are preaching through the Bible and stopping at different places. We are in the midst of the prophets and perhaps the most debated and certainly maybe the most famous prophet, not for anything he ever says, but because of his life, is Jonah. He has been sent by God to the hated Assyrians, this huge monster, more advanced, very uh, savage empire, and he doesn't want to go. But together as God's people, let's read in the third chapter, verses 1 through 5, together out loud. And as you read, listen carefully, you're reading God's word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. The sins are reading of God's holy word. The grass withers and the bloom fades, but the word of God lasts forever. In our trying to do this teamness together that we realize how important it is not just to send people as our brothers and sisters here, which we will be doing, but how important for us back home to support and encourage. Already the teams that have gone down to Mexico, the college group and the high school group, as you know, they always end up being so much more blessed than the people that are down there. But the uh, how much people downtown or over around the world say, thank you, why did you come here to simply love me in the name of Christ? It's interesting when we come to the book of Jonah, that perhaps no better example can be of what it is to obey God's call. Now, Jonah is one of it this last week as I was studying and reading. There is so much ink spilled on the question about the story. He is so famous. In fact, you could probably answer it. The story of the book is about Jonah and the... Wrong. <laughs> it's about Jonah and the Assyrians. But all of us, because of the great story about his being swallowed by this great fish, debate about that. And for me, uh, you can certainly prove that it was a, just a parable, and yet there was an actual Jonah, we'll see, but the story might be parabolic. It's still the Word of God. Or you can certainly say, no, God is capable of doing other things. It's possible that he was swallowed by this great fish. But get around to the message of it. Forget about this whole fish thing. <laughs> What is the striking thing is that God's faithful. I told of a college student who was sitting on a plane uh, flying back and she was reading her Bible and the guy next to her said, uh, what are you doing? She goes, I'm reading Bible. He said, well, you know, you're probably still in school. As you get to graduate school, you realize that the Bible is just full of myth. And she says, no, I believe. He goes, well, what are you reading? She said, I'm reading about Jonah. He said, Jonah, do you really believe that he was swallowed by a whale? And she said, well, first of all, it was a great fish, and for three days, yeah, I think God could do that. I said, well, how do you know? How did that happen? She says, I don't know. I guess I'll just have to ask Jonah when I get to heaven. And the guy goes, well, what if he's not in heaven? She said, then you can ask him. 
The whole point about the book, though, is not this fish thing. And the shock is when they've heard this was not that. People didn't go home and say, can you believe Jonah was swallowed by a fish? Something much more shocking than that. Israel, this is about 790 B.C. As we said, we have Jonah was recorded in 2 Kings, that he was a prophet during the time of Jeroboam II. He spoke of Jeroboam's success in military. Jesus certainly mentioned Jonah. He said, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, the fish, three days and three nights, so too the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth. But he got to the point of it. And here's the shocking message. Israel, who was reared on being God's chosen nation, a special people that got a particular love for them because they were recipients of God's grace. They thought, who cares about the other people? God really cares about us. And for any of us that think that God doesn't care about others and particularly our enemies, Jonah is a thundering response that says, you're in for a whale of a lesson. No pun intended. God will show how much he loves and cares for others. Jesus, when he told his disciples and commissioned them one time as we're discipling them, the hated people of that day was the Samaritans during the time of Jesus. Jews had no dealings with them. And Jesus said, I'm sending you to reap where others have labored in front of you. Some sow, some reap. The thing is, nobody stops to think, who was talking to the Samaritans? Nobody would deal with them. Who would God be talking to these hated Assyrians during the time of Jonah? And the answer is God always has a witness. And our job is either to sow or to harvest. To either go or for us to send. And everybody is a part of it. If you and I are not involved, and there is, you know, we don't have missions any more than you really join a church. You are the church if you belong to Christ. And the mission is to tell the world... Here, starting right here at Bel Air, and downtown, in the city of Los Angeles, in the valley, and around the world. Even as far, yes, as Orange County. Even that far, that God has called us to come and be witnesses. And when we say, yeah, I want to be a part of that, oh, life moves from being just an existence to being the adventure of the cosmos. Jonah is an example of how not to do things. Let's take a look at this. We're going to read through the whole book this morning. Which you'll be thinking, God, it's only four chapters. So, uh, starting on page 752, Jonah's response to God's call. Starting in verse 1, it launches into this story. Now remember, this is a historical person. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on aboard to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now what in the world is Jonah doing? And here's the strange thing. The prophet of God runs away from the call of God. And these heathen, hated Assyrians respond to the call of God. And you and I need to remember something. The people that we think are the most hard-hearted, the toughest nuts to crack, be very careful. Sometimes, anytime they get exposed to the gospel, they respond to it. Because their hearts all the time were seeking. They just didn't know the truth. 
Now that we get into the little Bible criticism here, we have to address a little. These marvelous 66 books that make up this library called the Bible, written over 1,500 years by many different authors. There is actually one author behind it with a capital A, God. But he used a lot of different people within this process. Now, what's interesting, we're such children of Athens. We're not really children of Jerusalem, I've said before. Athens is very logical, and our culture is that way. Versus Jerusalem, which Athens, A plus B equals C, A equals C. We always want to check it out. The question is, this is Holy Bible, means it tells the truth. For you and I, that means it's accurate. Like a phone book, all the phone numbers and the addresses are right. To the first hearers of that, it meant that it was trustworthy. That it would lead you to truth. And we get so obsessed about the vehicle versus the cargo, like people debating, you know, whether he was really in the fish or not, and that's a test of orthodoxy or not. Even Jesus, when he uses, he says, as it was in the days of Jonah. Then he finishes it up, in Matthew 12, you can look later, and says, it will be easier on the people of Nineveh because they repented when they heard, and something greater than Jonah is in your midst, speaking of himself. You know, Greeks like to have a logical. When your Jewish friends or the rabbis say, on the one hand, on the other hand, that's not wishy-washy. That's this ability to tolerate mystery. And so this beautiful lesson that God is teaching through him. So the guy's trying to run away from God. Is that like the Aggie salute or what? How many of us think, though, we can run away from God? Do you ever do that to the Lord? You ever say, Lord, I'm going to go to a party right now, and you just stay in the car, I'll be out in a few hours, okay? Uh, Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down to the hold of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing asleep? Get up and call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailor said to another, Let's cast lots so we may know whose calamity this has come upon us. They're trying to figure out who messed up. You know, who got us the fine mess you've gotten us into this time, Ollie? What is this? So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Where's your country? What people are you? Now remember, they're doing this in the middle of a bad storm. They're going, it's confession time. I'm a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made this sea and the dry land. And the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is it you've done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them so. Jonah knows that if he goes to Nineveh, he hates Nineveh. The Assyrians are this advanced, as we said, early terrorism. They were savage in their warfare. They were much more advanced in things than Israel. And they were conquering the known world, and he wanted them nuked. And he thought, if I go and preach repentance, what if they become Christians? What if they become followers of God? What do I do now? What if Osama bin Laden came in here? What if Saddam Hussein came in here? What if Al-Qaeda gathered together and said, okay, it's over, we repent? Would we say, yes? A lot of us would say, not that easy. God, fry them just a little bit and bring them back, okay? Just toast them just a little bit, not bad on both sides. 
And he's afraid of that. So he's fleeing away from the Lord. And this is the irony. The prophet of God is running from God. And these heathen sailors are figuring this out saying, Whoa, we have to be merciful. We have to come before this God. What have you done? So, verse 11. What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down? The sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. I know it's because of me that the storm has come upon you. And they even try to row to shore. Now, he is not saying this to be heroic. What did God want him to do? Did God want Jonah greased? No, or he could have just zap, he's gone. He wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, I'd rather die. Throw me overboard. And these heathen sailors try valiantly to row and they can't do it. And solely they pitch him into the water. They picked up Jonah, verse 15, threw him in and the sea ceased raging. 17. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Lesson. When God says to you, go... You can do this the easy way, or you likewise can take the fish express if you want. He's going to go to Nineveh. And so he's in this belly of this great fish, and he has this beautiful poem. It's interesting, in the poem, he never does say, I'm sorry. He just says, God, when you use me, everybody will praise you again. This guy's got the classic problem. He thinks he's the center of the universe. You know, you've heard the expression, how many... Teens, does it take to change a light bulb? Just one, they hold it and the world revolves around them. <laughs> and, and he's got this idea that, well, it's just me, 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 me. And so God sends this great fish, not to punish him, but to, he's not going to die. And the fish takes him, and then it says over here, verse 1 of the second chapter, well, he's crying out to, to that Lord. And then finally down in verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it spewed Jonah upon the dry land. So the fish takes Jonah... He coughs him out like a bad hairball. <laughs> Jonah's standing there on the beach. He wipes himself off. And he's... Look at verse 1 that you read in the third chapter. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I tell you, I love that so much about God. A sec, He says, have we learned? And he still gives him another shot. You ever try to train a dog to heal? You ever take the little puppy, and if you don't train that puppy, as soon as there's danger, it's going to run in front of a car and be killed, or run off and starve to death, or be mauled by something else. And so you teach it to heal, to walk by you. And you put a little tiny leash right on the little puppy, and you give it a little yank, so that every time it goes away, it gets the idea. The worst thing to do in teaching a dog is when it goes away and it comes back, to beat it. Like that's real motivation to come back to the master. But when they go away, you yank it to come back. You think God's any different? Some of us, he gives a little yank. Some of us, he about pulls our heads off. Not because God is mad, but because we're that stubborn. And so Jonah, he goes and he preaches, 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. And in the back of his mind, he goes, and it'll be great. But the people repent. Verse 10 of the third chapter. Nineveh's response to God's call. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The power of this loving God. 
You're going to go out and be working with a lot of different people, and a lot of you have. And so are us, particularly in this city. And they don't love God. They don't act like God. They don't act like us. The more you want to enrich your life, the more you want to be around the tough ones. And don't be surprised when God uses you. God can use anything. I, I had a friend in high school. He was 21 years old. He wasn't exactly academically brilliant. But he was this big guy. Bob Cruz, a friend of mine. He and his brother were Chicanos at that time. This guy was just monster. He was so hairy. He had to like shave his hands to eat. And Bob Cruz, just one of the meanest hombres I ever met. Uh, he had to flee from his family. He was biting his dad in the head. Uh, they had such a bad fight. And he was staying with us. I took this guy in and we went to, remember Barry McGuire, even destruction guy, and he became a Christian, and this was in 72, and he was traveling through Denver, and he was doing a little concert, and I took my friend Bob there, and we were staying and listening, at the end of the music, I said, let's go, because this pastor that got up front, he was a typical pastor, you know, like, hi, and uh, just a squirrely kind of little thing, they're from legalistic, and uh, and, uh, all of you, take your hats off, and I thought, oh, this is great, so... I said, well, let, let's just go, Bob. And he's, uh, he said, no, wait. And they listened to the pastor at the end. And here's this huge guy. And uh, he says, I'm going to give my life to Christ. And I said, well, you can't do it now. Uh, and they, they haven't asked yet. And he said, well, I want to do it. So I said, okay. But it wasn't really an altar call. But go ahead. So this big hombre comes walking down front. Gave his life to Christ. Right there. Who would have thought that Reverend Twerp up front (laughs) could have to Bob? And what I'm telling you is, God can use you in his time and his way if you're obedient. And when they respond, we're all happy? No. Look at verse 1 of the fourth chapter. But this was very displeasing to Jonah and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was in my country? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. I know you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent in punishing. And now, O oh Lord, does this guy always want to die? Please take my life from me. I want to die. He says, I knew you'd forgive him. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. And so what's he do? Verse 5, then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city, made a booth for himself. He sat under the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. Here's this prophet giving this incredible temper tantrum. And he's going over and he's sitting down and he's waiting. Maybe God will realize God's mistake. Have you noticed how often we like to serve the Lord but in the role of advisor? And so he's saying, maybe God will see this. Now what's interesting, the word he was displeased is the Hebrew ra'ah. At the beginning of the book, that their, their violence, the word is ra'ah, the thing that the Ninevites did. And God was going to send destruction, and again, it's the root ra'ah. And now it says that Jonah himself is ra'ah. He became the thing that he hated in others. And don't we do that all the time? That we're bigots against bigots? That we are intolerant of the intolerant? That we are judgmental of judgmental people? And so he's, he's become the very thing that he was afraid of, that he despised in the others. And I want to tell you that the Lord is not against 
They're being against the Assyrians' behavior, but not as a racist. Where you completely make a predetermined judgment just on the basis of who somebody is. Now what about us as American Christians today and Arabs? Do we get an emotional reaction when you see an Arab interviewed on the news? Maybe what about us as American Christians and Jews and Israel? What about us as American Christians and almost anybody? It's like I told you the white and black brother were waiting in glory, waiting to go into heaven, and they couldn't wait to meet Jesus. And the white brother said to his African-American friend, he said, I hope you realize that Jesus is probably white. And the other guy said, why do you say that? And he said, well, because it says do things decently and in order. And, I, and I've watched how you operate. Jesus is white. The black brother said, well, I'm sure he's black because it says dance and make melody before the Lord. And I've been to your church and I've seen you dance. <laughs> I'm sure that he celebrates. And they said, well, just wait to see. And the doors opened and they couldn't wait. And all of a sudden they heard, Buenos Dias. <laughs> Do we ever take all of our little projections and put them onto God Almighty? Who is God really? And does God love the Assyrian ways? No. Does God love the Assyrians? Absolutely. Israel? Absolutely. Christians? And our job is to go love them and send these people. God calls us to himself, but he... And if you've never given your heart to the Lord, I pray you do it this morning. This is not a game. You need to have a relationship with Christ or you're lost. And if you're a Jew, I'm asking you to become a Gentile, but to become a Messiah. If you're Catholic, I'm not asking you to become Protestant, just to follow Him. If you are, I'm not asking you to become a Presbyterian, I'm asking you to give your life to the Lord. And He calls that. He'll never force Himself. But He commands you and me to go into all the world. Go. It's not a suggestion. Go disciple all the nations. Teach them to obey everything I've told you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I am with you to the end of this age. We are commissioning in obedience. And as you take these names and to celebrate and to send a card and encouragement to other missionaries, and if you have never done a mission, two things I always want to tell my churches when you stand in front of the Lord. First of all, don't ever stand in front of Christ and say, I never taught a Sunday school or helped with a youth group. I never took care of somebody else's child spiritually. Don't enter the presence of the Lord that way. And second of all, don't ever say, particularly in our time and wealth and ability, I never went on a mission trip. Whoa, you don't want to have that missing in your package when you get there. You want to be able to say, Lord, yes. But the bottom line is really not just sending and being a part of the team together. It's how you love the team that's back here. And I want us to find, you know, the pretty people, the famous people. Other churches are trying to get them. That's okay. I want you to find the real slime in this city. I want you to find the most heathen, hard-hearted studio executives that are so lost (laughs) and find them. I want you to find the biggest, meanest people that make fun of Christians. Their favorite sport is Christian backing and just go alongside of them and say, hey, and just plant seeds. William Booth, you know, the great man of God in England, took his son Bramwell and he took him one time down to the worst parts of Soho. And he called him Willie. Bramwell recorded this, that his father... He shocked him one time, took him to this bar, and just all the hookers and the prostitutes and the alcohol and the smoke pouring out. And he opened the door, and he took in little Willie, and he said, Willie, 
These are our people. Love them. That's what we're called to do. You don't need to save them. God does that. But they can't be saved if they don't hear. And you need to earn a right when these people, when you're overseas in the other places, when they say, why are you here? They need to see how you've helped out in what way and tell me about this Jesus. And all of us here this next week, we need to earn the right to say, can I tell you of my Savior? And when we start doing that and letting the Lord take over, wow, to cooperate together. Can I tell you something? There are hundreds of millions of dollars going to be spent this next year from the American church and the missions. That's wonderful. Do you know that we will spend more on pet food in the next 52 days in this society than missions? And I'm not against dogs. I'm not into fifi kicking. I, I love them, you know. It's but come on. 52 days worth. And we think that we're so great. You ever been down to, I think, Venice Beach? It was, well, it was just on the other side of Venice Beach. They have one of those cut-out things where you can put your head in some guy's perfect body and get a picture, you know, some sexy lady, and everybody always gets pictures of that. And that's always great to do. It never really fits. <laughs> I, you know, I was going to do one with Arnold Schwarzenegger, his picture there, but my jowls was hanging over his check. So I didn't do that, but... <laughs> but, you know, what about... What about the reverse? The head of this church is Jesus. What if you took a snapshot of Bel Air? We are the body of Christ. And you put it up there, and you put the Savior's head on it. Would it look like a fit? If not... He's open to changes so that we are his body. Are you sowing seed out there with the people you live with? You don't need to plant trees. Just to love them and tell them that there's a Savior who takes care of you and can take care of them. Do you know how to bring somebody to Christ? If you don't, why not? We can show you how to do that. Are you going to go along with these team members? If not this time, are you getting ready sometime to go on the next one? Or are you going to send them? Not just to pray for them the day as you did, but to actually write a card and encourage and financially. And above all, are you going to get ready for that day when the Lord, as Jonah found out, comes and is loved and brought back? Look what he finally does with Jonah in verse 6 of the fourth chapter. The Lord appointed a bush and made it cover over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was happy about the bush. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush, so it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a wind, and the sun beat on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and asked that, guess what, he might die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He said, angry enough to die. Has this guy got a death wish or what? So he's going over sitting here and God gives this plant and it's beautiful. And he's sitting there and he says, isn't creation wonderful? And it suddenly dies and withers. And he's angry. He goes, where's the justice? And God says, Jonah, are we ticked again this morning? Is that another bad hormone day? What's going on? Because I'm ready to die. Look what the Lord says. Verse 10, the Lord said, you're concerned about a bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being a night and perished in a night. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right from their left and also many animals? End of story. 
You're upset because a plant you thought was beautiful dies? And you want me to nuke Nineveh? You're upset because you see things that aren't just. And yet people that don't know their right from their left, maybe that means they're young. Maybe they don't have any moral understanding that you can go out and lead. Do we care about this world? Do we care about the people we live with? Jesus said, Go. He didn't say stay. He said, go. Amen? Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that you have called us to share in this incredible mission, Lord, to walk with you. And God, I thank you that you do love people in ways so much more than you love us. That, Lord, I mean that we love ourselves, but in ways that you have always called and loved us. I thank you, Lord, that we are part of your body because somebody that followed you, Jesus, a Jew from the first century, were saved by your son because somebody went to Africa and to Asia and to Europe, Lord. And the baton of light was passed, Lord. And somebody loved us one time and told us the good story. And Lord, we have to be honest, we didn't come to you because we knew it was true. We came to you because they cared about us and you wooed us to you. Lord, I pray as we send these mission teams and the ones that have gone, that the seeds will grow, Lord, and they may, they may know a Savior. And so, Lord, now as we come to you with our tithes and our offerings, what you have given on our behalf, Lord, thank you for this privilege. We can just give back a little bit that you've loaned to us in this journey on life. Bless it, Lord. Those that can't give, show us how to help them, encourage them in this time of testing. Those, Lord, that we can give generously, help us to realize what a privilege it is. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's for your glory, great head of the church, in your name we pray. Amen.